Move the particle. One church, one message, many expressions. And uh, I just love coming together. So good to have you just worshiping with us and celebrating. I want you to take out your Bibles with us. We're in a brand new series. It's called Authentic. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. And ushers, if you could help us out, if you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real high. And our ushers are going to make their way through the room right now. And if you're in one of our venues, there are Bibles available for you. You can borrow these while we go through the message. It's our desire that you would have a copy of God's Word in your hand so you see from His Word what we're actually teaching and talking through. And I encourage you, week after week, bring your Bible, bring your electronic or bring your print version with you so we can get into God's Word together. And ushers, thank you so much for doing that. We're going to go over to Romans chapter 12. And you can turn there. While I get ready, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about this whole series as we get ready for this, but I have some really good news. I believe with all of my heart, are you ready? Spring has come. I know, it's amazing. Those of you, my son is watching me and Nevis and my daughter-in-law, they're going, summer's been here for months, Dad, but... In Ontario, I think we finally landed on spring. I'm, I'm pretty excited, and uh, I think that's a really good news item. Here's the other reason I know it's spring. I'm sure many of you saw this. As you're driving through the neighborhood, garage sale signs are going up all over the place. People are getting rid of all their junk, uh, treasure. So they're hoping that you'll buy their treasure off of them, all you hoarders that have been holding this all winter long. Time to get out there. That's how we know when spring comes around Ontario, we see the garage sale signs. How many of you are bargain hunters, by the way? Quick show of hands. You love a bargain. Yeah, yeah, you're in church. Quit lying to me. I know you. I see you guys. You pull over for every garage sale sign you find. So sometimes it's worthwhile. Did you know that? In fact, just a couple of years ago, there was a a garage sale shopper in Vancouver. True story. Reported across CBC News. Uh, Vancouver, he was a, a bargain hunter, just sort of checking out garage sales, saw a sign and decided to go scope it out. Pulled into the neighbors, went in and started to look around and was looking at the different display of items that were available and saw two pieces, two pictures really, that were there, wall art, and thought, wow, those look rather interesting. And as investigated a little bit further, thought, these might be something I'd really be interested in. So in true bargain, you know, hunting fashion, you begin to negotiate. You do the curbside negotiation. Got an agreed-to price, took the two pieces home, looked at them and thought, you know, I wonder if these are worth more than what I really believe. Put them in plastic shopping bags, took them over to the curator of an auction house and said, would you mind looking at these to tell me if they're worth anything? And so the curator said, sure, I'd be willing to do that and uh, looked at the, the paintings and all of a sudden got a little bit excited about it because one of the paintings was signed by an individual by the name of Frederick Varley, one of the group of seven Canadian artists. The other was signed by an individual by the name of Tom Thompson, who was not part of the group of seven, but who helped found the group of seven. All of a sudden, garage selling doesn't sound so bad, does it? So asked, what do you think the worth is? Now, because there was no history, there was no providence around them to know where they'd come from and how they had arrived over at the other home on a garage sale table, they said they had to estimate what the worth would be. They looked at them, conservative estimate. Yeah, we're all going garage sale shopping now, aren't we? You're ready to go. The curator looked at it and said, if these were clean, restored, and we got the documentation, I want to see, we'll put a picture up for you on the screen. If these were clean and cured and you got the proper documentation, they would probably be worth in excess of $600,000. Yeah, now I know what you're doing next Saturday when you see those signs pop up in the neighborhood. We all love a good bargain. Ask yourself, Why does this never happen to you? That's what I ask. 
I read these stories, I go, how is that possible? I stop. I never see anything like that. And I always wonder how this always happens to other people. Well, this week, you know, around the church here, uh, Pastor Amitab, my executive pastor, there's a debate as to who's the best-looking pastor around the church, and he's kind of vying for the position. But anyhow, he's got all of our custodians and facilities team cleaning the building. And as they were going through the building, they were cleaning up storage closets and back rooms, and they came across a small bag in the back recesses of a closet that we didn't even know it was there. And you wouldn't believe this. They opened up the bag, and they found some gold coins. Yeah, that's what I thought. And we didn't know what to do with them because there wasn't that many. And so we decided, you know what we'll do? We feel we should give them back to the church. They've been here, so we should just give them back to the church. But there wasn't enough for everybody. So what we did is we taped one underneath select chairs all throughout the room. So if you reach underneath your chair, go ahead, reach underneath your chair, you might find a gold coin this morning. Go ahead, let me see you do it. Did you find one? Come on, reach. Hey, check it out. Look at these. Is that not amazing? Oh, you're still looking? Share share this with our guests this morning. Right there. All right. Gold coins. Now, listen, I can't verify that they're actually authentic. In fact, the, the foil on them says dollars, so they may not be gold. And some of you might be munching while I rest... Oh, I've totally lost you now. We should just go home, right? You're ready to go garage sale shopping. You can't eat those. Look, there's people still crawling on the floor, looking through the empty chairs over there. This is great. The world is on a quest for the authentic. They are tired of cheap imitations. And I think, quite candidly, we're tired as well. We are surrounded by, we are immersed in the knockoffs. You look at everything that's around us, and the truth is, we begin to wonder if there's anything really authentic anymore. Designer clothes, handbags, jewelry, shoes, furniture, branding, colors, designs, all look and feel authentic. But the reality is, so many of them, so many of them are just cheap knockoffs or cheap imitations. In fact, the Financial Post reported this. In a recent study globally, they found that the counterfeit trade was surpassing right now about 250 billion U.S. dollars a year. That's how much is being traded. I looked up the Canadian statistics. Did you realize that in Canada right now, the conservative estimate, it's around $30 billion worth of goods that are traded and they're counterfeit. So what's the implication of this? This means that when businesses lose out, customers come in thinking they're buying the real deal, they end up with an inferior product, something that is less than what they expected. They've overpaid and it doesn't last. And that's the challenge when you deal with the imitation. So it goes way beyond just mere economy. It affects our lives. Have you ever considered what the impact of cheap imitations are when it comes to the realm of faith? That if the world is enamored by the imitation, what has happened in the realm of faith? That imitation is now replacing the authentic. That faithfulness is now equated with convenience. If it's convenient, maybe I'll stay true. And discipleship is defined by personal preference, not whether or not God's word says I need to, but whether or not I feel I want to. Whatever happened to the authentic?
Why are Christians so unlike Christ? Why is the world flooded with imitation disciples that are not really authentic, but they're the fake? So we want to look at this, and my goal is to challenge us that regardless of what they see in the world, that people will look at the rest of us, and together we will become the authentic, the person that God created you to be, the person that God created me to be, and that we will have a marked difference that in a world of false reality, we'll present a brand new reality for people to follow. So I'm going to challenge you, don't miss the following weeks, because we're going to deep dive different attributes of this. We're going to look at what does it mean to really be authentic and drive this one out. It's going to challenge you, it's going to stretch you, and I really believe it's going to help us to regain what everyone wants in this world, which is authenticity. I did a little bit of research leading into this, and I found that even out through the business market, through the marketing agencies, into the consumer market, there is a quest to rediscover authenticity. And people are tired of all the cheap and the fake and the imitation, and they want to know, is this something real? Is this something dependable? Is this something I can count on? And that's what Paul does. Paul takes his believers in Rome, and he writes to them, and he goes, can I tell you what authentic is? Can I show you? So I want to show you too. Romans chapter 12, look it up right now, and if it's open, let's go there. And I want you to see what it says in verse 9, and we're going to read a few short verses where Paul gives us a little bit of an idea of what it looks like to be authentic. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. He just finished going through a list where he's describing what it looks like to to serve God, to be a part of a person that is equipped and created to be like Christ. And he says, you can use your gifts, and you can serve out in all these different kinds of ways. But then he underscores, and he goes, if you're not authentic, if you're not the real deal, it's going to fall short. So authenticity becomes one of those key areas of our lives that we look at. And I really believe, I think I could speak for everybody in the room, there is an inner desire that says, I'm tired of having to live with the mask on or to produce the imitation. I don't want to have to walk back in and just sort of put on a good face on a Sunday morning or or when my friends are around that are followers of Jesus, kind of amp up a little bit and, and demonstrate to them that I'm pretty strong in my faith. But we all know that we have this shadowy area of our lives that we go... I'm not the real deal back here. So I don't want to bring guilt into this world because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus brings grace into this world and he helps us rise above all that is inauthentic and he calls us into a journey to be authentic again. And I want you to be the person that God created you to be. I want to live that way. Are you with me? All right, let's let's try that again. Are you with me? All right, there you go. I know you're there. You're just still looking for those chocolates under the chairs. So Paul says, anyhow, I want you to be the authentic. Now, in order to understand authentic to what's really the true, you have to understand what the imitation or the false is. That makes sense, right? They tell us that dealing with money. You can't understand or identify counterfeit if you haven't spent a lot of time with the real. I have some personal experience in this area, not with money so much, but with um, watches. I like watches. 
And, uh, you know, it's just a nice little accessory that you can wear. And so Laura knows that I enjoy an S-watch. Even though you can only wear one, somehow it's good to have three or four that you can just have. I don't know why. But uh, one time I was traveling. I was down in Paraguay, and I was with a missions team. We were going down to build a church. So we were actually constructing the church, and then I was leading meetings while we were down there with the team. And when we were in the country, we were in one of the cities. We got off the bus, and on the side of the street were these street vendors. And this one gentleman approached me, and he said, uh, Would you be interested in buying a watch? How did he know? Like, how did he know I was going to be there? And now he's got my interest, and I wanted to be a part of this great deal. And I said, of course I would like to buy a watch. He goes, I have authentic Rolex watches. I, are you kidding me? A Rolex? I can't afford a Rolex, and you have them on the street. That's amazing. So he starts to demonstrate this Rolex watch, and he goes, this is what it can do, and he espouses the reason it's good to have a Rolex watch. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm buying it. Laura, send money. So as I watched the whole sales deal, we get to the end, and I'm looking at the watch, and I noticed when I held the watch in my hand, you know how the faceplate on a watch, usually the hand at 12 o'clock is straight up and down? This one was 12.02. So I thought, well, maybe somebody at Rolex was having a bad day, and they were just kind of like off a little bit. And then I noticed the bezel that goes into the crown. Usually they screw down, screw in, they go really tight. This one was sticking out, and it wouldn't push in. I went, huh, that's unusual. Well, you know, car companies always have one lemon, right? So it could be a Rolex lemon. And then I watched the hand movement. And Rolexes are notorious for that mechanical sweeping motion, just fluid. They're nice. Everybody has Rolex right now. It's going like this. But they got the sweeping movement. And I noticed this one was like this, and would go back as much as it would go forward. It was kind of that quartz movement. I said, are you sure this is authentic? He goes, it's a real deal. I said, all right, let's buy it then. I'm going to buy it from you. So we negotiated. I got on the bus. I go, look what I got, a real Rolex for $10. You're going, he's in charge of the church? Get rid of this guy. No, I knew what I was buying, but I went, back, I went back to our church. We were in Michigan at the time. I went back to the office and said, hey, check that out. Doug got a Rolex by Fossil right now. But Doug got a Rolex, and I was showing everybody in the office, and I was just enjoying it. I was having a lot of fun with it. And I think God knew I was having a little bit too much fun. A few years ago, our home had been broken into, and they stole my Rolex. <laughs> they left all my real deal stuff, but they stole my Rolex. What is that all about? Well, I can tell you, I know what a real Rolex looks like because I'm familiar with the inauthentic. I know what imitations look like. So what is an imitation and what is authenticity? Let me give you notes. So take your notes out or go to the electronic device, uversion.com. Look up Mississauga Live and you can take a few notes. If you want to know, here are some key indicators of authenticity. Not exhaustive list. You can go through the scriptures. There's lots. But here are key indicators of authenticity. And this one here you need to write down. Integrity. Integrity. When you look at the word integrity, the dictionary tells us it's defined as wholeness or uprightness or virtue or honesty, soundness. I like this one, an uninjured state. There is a sense of completion that comes when we talk about integrity. In fact, the root word, when you look into the scriptures, if you're defining it out of the biblical context, the root word is to be complete, that what you see is sound and proven. No gaps, no pain, nothing has deteriorated. And David picked up on this, and he understood that God finds great pleasure with integrity. Psalm 41, verse 12, it says this. He said, God, because of my integrity, you uphold me, and you set me in your presence forever. That's very, very insightful to pause for a moment. Because David understood something that is part of the quest of every human heart as to how do I connect with God and how can I find God's favor in my life and does God take notice of me? And David discovered something. He goes, when completeness or wholeness or soundness is part of who I am, 
God actually takes notice of me. He takes notice of you. That when you live with integrity in your life, that's why Paul said love must be sincere, love must be authentic, or love must show integrity. You can't love your neighbor and hate your spouse. You can't love your employer and despise your children. You can't reverse those things. Jesus, in fact, said it's not just enough to love those that love us back. He said you've got to love your enemies. That's what integrity is. There's a soundness. There's a completeness. There's a wholeness to it. And that's what the world is desperately craving. They look at the church community. They see the fracture lines, and they go, wow, why would we buy in? If it's so fractured and broken, but when they start to notice, Jesus said, you know, there's a completeness in our love when integrity is there. The love that we share between each other, the love that we share for the world will show an integrity of our love, and it will attract people to Christ. That's powerful. So David said, I love this because God, you uphold me. You set me in your presence. If you want to get into God's presence, you need to walk with integrity. We live in a world that's full of shortcuts. We navigate through difficult choices. We feel the pressure to compromise. We're meeting business deadlines. We're struggling with meeting relationship expectations. So we look for the fast shortcuts, and we try to navigate through some very impossible situations. And yet, the call here is don't take the shortcuts. Be the person God created you to be. Walk with integrity. David had a great opportunity. Saul, at one moment, put himself into a vulnerable, risky situation. He didn't know David was in the shadows. David was God's chosen future king for Israel. Saul was his current reigning king. Saul had fallen out of favor with God. How did he do that? He lost his integrity. No longer authentic. So while he's chasing and hunting David down, David has this moment, this great moment where he's in the shadows, and he could actually take Saul's life. He could have taken him captive, could have killed him. He could have taken the throne, and David knew it was within his power to do it, within his right. He was a future king. But God hadn't set the time yet. And so in that moment, he lets Saul escape. And he calls out after Saul. He said, I could have done it. I could have done it. I could have taken the shortcut, and nobody would have stopped me. But David also knew that would have compromised his integrity, and authenticity is what God was looking for. That's why God says of David, this is a man whose heart is after my heart. Do you want to know the presence of God? Strive for integrity. Because God says, I will be there. I will immerse myself in your presence. Proverbs 20, verse 7, it says this. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Think about that just for a moment. The godly walk with integrity. And then there's a future blessing here. That the greatest inheritance I can give to my family, the greatest inheritance you can pass on as a legacy, is integrity. That if I live my life, the one thing I know is my kids, they don't need my money. Now, they're probably watching online right now, and they're going, yes, Dad, we do need your money. We think we need financial resource. But God says, that's not what you really need. I'll take care of all those details. I'll take care of your life and your food and your clothes, all that stuff. He said, what I can't give you is the integrity factor. You have to show your authenticity. And there's a promise here. It says that if I will live with integrity, my future generations receive a blessing from God that they will see a way to live their life. What a gift that we can all give to future generations. Authenticity is marked by integrity. Here's another key indicator I want you to write down this morning. It's called purity. Purity ties really, really closely into integrity, but it talks about certified or authenticated content. Great story. This lady was... uh, Her fiancé gave her an engagement ring, $16,000 ring. Whoa. Guys, 
Talk about stepping up. Gave her a $16,000 ring, but she noticed she had a little bit of a problem with it. She was wearing her ring, and you know how they do. The ladies are just enjoying that, showing everybody. And she looked at it one time, and she went, why is there green underneath my ring? Why is my finger changing color? So she began to wonder where he got the ring from, right? You know, put the quarter in the slot, turn the dial, and it drops down into the tray. So she's worried about this. So she contacted a jeweler, and she said, can you help me with my ring? He, spent, he said he spent $16,000 on it, but my finger is turning green. What's causing this? And the jeweler replied back to her and said, you have to understand, pure gold is how many carats? All the ladies knew it, none of the men. 24 carats, 24 carat gold. 24 karat gold in its pure state is soft, very pliable, and if we wear it as jewelry, it often it'll bend, it'll break, it'll shape, it'll misform. So what we do is we mix properties into it to harden it. We'll mix silver, copper, tin, whatever they want to mix in, and a jeweler can choose how to sort of cut and dilute the gold. So in her particular situation, in some people's body chemistry reacts to whatever the gold was cut with. And he said, in your situation, it was probably cut with copper. And so your body chemicals are reacting to the copper, causing the green ring. And everybody's looking at the rings right now going, I wonder what mine was. So she was relieved that the gold in the ring was authentic, but she was disappointed that her particular body chemistry was reacting to the ring. Here's the piece, though. All the gold that we wear as fashion jewelry is pretty much diluted. It's not in its pure form, which means it's, more, it's not as expensive as true 24-karat gold would be in the full weight, but it's also reduced in terms of its purity. little image on the screen for you this morning. Those who invest in precious metals, and uh, maybe you got some of these under your bed at home or in your closet. We didn't have them in the church, by the way, as you already found out. It's always stamped. It'll be stamped with 99.99999% pure or whatever degree. They want you to know that it's certified. Your jewelry will have a stamp in there somewhere. It's 14 carat, 10 carat, whatever number of carats it is. There's a stamp to authenticate the level of purity. It indicates the level of purity. Interesting that Paul would talk about love being sincere and that purity is an indicator of authenticity. Even Paul understood that purity of character is essential if we're going to be authentic people, followers of Jesus. That if I'm going to be the person God created me to be, there has to be purity in my character. Paul, when he was defending himself against the Jewish extremists, was in on his defense. And he makes a great statement. If you want to write it down, it's not in your notes, but it's Acts 24, 16. And Paul says this as he's speaking. He goes, I do my level best to keep a clear conscience before God and my neighbors and everything that I do. Paul, in defending his own faith, he goes, listen, you have to understand who I am, that I don't do things out of guile, I don't shade, I don't use the impure, the diluted version of my life. He goes, what I speak, what flows out of my heart, what I think, I do my level best to make sure that all of it is coming with a clear conscience, that there's purity when it comes to my character. And it's one of those things that defines what purity really looks like. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what's in the shadows of our lives? What's back there that we know, and we hear the little whisper of the enemy every now and then, they go, you're not that good of a follower of Jesus. You know what's back there. You know about your thought life. You know about your finances. You know about those relationships that you shouldn't be involved in. You know what you're doing online. And we have all this stuff in the background that just sort of circulates, and we realize the call for authenticity is the call for transparency with Christ to say, come, purify my heart. Place your spirit in me. Let all of my dealings, let me be like Paul, no matter what I speak, no matter what people look at. The psalmist said, Lord, come and examine my heart. 
Test me and see if there's anything in me. And cleanse it and purify it. Purity is what leads us towards this wonderful experience of really being authentic. Over in uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, James talks about purity and the purpose of our lives. He says here, when it comes to religion, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. He goes, do you, do you really want purity to be a part of your life? He goes, then don't get caught up in religion. But it's about relationship. It's about taking care of the needs of others, serving Jesus into their world, and keeping your life pure from what is polluting everyone else, setting a standard that says, I will be a follower of Christ, and my life will just be marked with purity. Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. He goes, if you want to really understand authenticity, he goes, keep your heart pure. That's what real, genuine love looks like and is motivated by. Well, here's a third uh, indicator, key indicator of authenticity. Write this one down. To be trustworthy. And trustworthy really means to be someone that another person can count on. We're dependable, reliable, we're faithful, we're available, that people would look at us and they would go, you know why they're an authentic person? They're trustworthy. They're somebody that I could call on and they're going to be available for me. Did you know that insurance companies, by the way, they spend millions of dollars in marketing to make you believe or to help convince you that they are, in fact, a trustworthy insurance company. Did you know that? So I'm going to, let's have a, you guys good for a little bit of fun right now? All right. I have, uh, I have a couple of slogans. Let's find out how well their money is being spent. You name the insurance company, I'll give you the slogan. You good to go? Like a good neighbor. Oh, you guys are all insured with State Farm. Okay, that was too easy. Now we know who your insurance company is. All right, here's another one. You're in good hands. Ah, oh, the Allstate crowd. All right, that's good. Here's another one. We keep our promise to you. Nobody's with Amica. All right. And the one that I really love, it's the one with the duck, Aflac. I have no idea what they're selling, but I love the duck. Don't you love the duck? Shows up in the middle of everything. Aflac. Why do they do that? They want to convince us that they're trustworthy. There's a Canadian insurance company called London Life. Their slogan used to be freedom. Yeah, that boat sailed a long time ago, hasn't it? I kind of tipped that scale, and I'm still waiting for freedom. So anyhow trustworthiness is a key indicator of authenticity. Proverbs 12, here's what it says. The Lord, the Lord delights in people who are trustworthy. You want to make God happy? Isn't that great? Let's reduce this down. You want to make God smile? Be trustworthy. Be dependable. Be faithful. Be reliable. Didn't know it was that easy, did we? We often, we strive, we think, you know, if I go to church 10 times and if I give this amount and if I serve this amount, all of that should flow out of a life of love, not out of duty. That is a response to the incredible grace of God in our lives. But if you really want to make God happy, the psalmist says, just be trustworthy and God will delight in you. I have people all the time ask me, how can I know that God approves of my life? Friends, it's not that complicated. When you look into the scriptures and you break down the principles, one of the key indicators he's looking for is authenticity and an indicator of authenticity. He says, I just need you to be trustworthy in everything you do. Jesus warned his followers. He said, I want you to be careful of the Pharisees. 
They, they play a good game. Boy, they got a great show. They got the flowing robes, and they got the crowds, and they got the masses. So I want you to be careful because what they speak can lead you into error. They are committed to religion, not necessarily relationship, and they will heap struggles and bondage and give you obligations that you're not going to be able to keep, and they don't even keep them themselves. So he said, watch out for the yeast, the teaching of the Pharisee. In other words, make sure, be like the Bereans, study the word. That's why we tell you, get into the Bible. Study the word and understand what God is looking for in our lives. And one of the things that he's really looking for is to be trustworthy. That's why when Judas came to the garden on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Judas came into the garden leading a mob behind him. And when he came up to Jesus, he was one of the 12. One of the 12. That meant he had spent time with Jesus. He'd done the beach barbecues. He'd done the upper room. He'd seen the miracles. He'd been on the lake with him. I mean, he had invested his life with him. He walks into the garden leading a mob. Judas walks up to Jesus. And in, Mark, or, sorry, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says back to Judas, he goes, Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? Would you use a form of greeting that is exchanged between friends to kiss the cheek of one another to be a way that you'll sell me out? Judas, you were there all along. You know my life. You know the authenticity of my message. You've seen it. You know the sincerity of my heart. But you'd use this to sell me out. And he was questioning the trustworthy relationship and the nature of Judas' life. So trustworthy is one of the things that you need to look at when it comes to being a person that truly emulates authenticity. A little picture for the screen this morning. These are uh, just a picture of what's called OEM or uh, original equipment manufacturer parts as compared to what are called aftermarket parts. A lot of you drive your cars. You don't know what this is about because the mechanics take care of it. But they may ask you when you go in to get your car fixed, do you want original OEM or do you want aftermarket. And the reason we raise it is often the two are very close to being comparable, but your actual dealership, your car manufacturer highly recommends OEM. Why do they do that? Because they know that it was built to the specifications of the vehicle for which it's going to be installed. It's going to fit. It's going to function. It's going to give the assurance that it's dependable, reliable, that it's trustworthy, and in some situations, that your life may well depend upon it. I know the story. Laura and I were getting ready. We were taking a new pastorate in Michigan. We were saying goodbye to our families in western Canada. We were going to drive for about a week across the U.S. and visit friends and then move to our new location. So before I left, I took my car to get it checked out. I wanted to make sure we were ready for a road trip. And a friend at the church had a, a brake shop, and he said, I'll have a look at it. He said, we'll make sure it's ready to go. He called me. He said, Doug, you need new brakes. I said, well, then take care of it for me. So he put new brakes in, and we took off, and we're driving across. And we're down on one of the interstates cutting across the U.S., and it's sort of a barren, desolate place, and we're just wailing down, having a good time. And I touched the brakes of the car, and all of a sudden I just felt something underneath the car just like lurch, and then the pedal go, went right down to the floor. The brake pedal went to the floor, and I went, uh-oh. Now, how many of you know that's not a good sign? <laughs> Just to be clear, I want to make sure we're all tracking. The brake pedal rang. I looked at Laura, our three-year-old son. He wasn't quite three. He's in the back seat of the car. And my heart sank. I thought, we just had these all done. So we coasted to a stop, looked at where we could get off the highway. The only way to actually stop the car was to tether the emergency brake and coast. So we pulled into this little town. And we went over to a shop and we said, you know, we think the brakes are gone on our car. Could you have a look at the car? He said, our brake guy only comes two times a week. That's how little this place was. 
He goes, I won't be able to look at it till tomorrow. He goes, you know, you might want to check the other one. So we drove the car over there, and again, same thing. We just coast up to the stop sign, and slowly got our way. And they said, no, we're not going to be able to help you. So we took it back to the other guy, and we had to wait. We had to spend the night there. The next morning, when they put the car up in the hoist, he pulled him off, and he goes, well, when's the last time you had your brakes done? Uh, Ten days ago. He goes, whoever put the brakes in, he said, they're completely malfunctioned. They were wrong. Something was wrong with the fabrication. They were an aftermarket product, and they just blew apart, disintegrated. That's why they recommend OEM. Here, Paul is talking about love must be sincere, that it must be authentic, that it must be trustworthy, that it's part of who we are, that when we speak, whatever we do, that our life is something that people would look at and they go, I would love to emulate that person. They are a trustworthy person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 Jesus said this. He said, when you say yes and no, just let it be yes and no. But when you manipulate words to get your own way, that's when you go wrong. So don't add anything into the words that you speak. Trustworthy means that if I say yes, it's a yes. If I say no, it's a no. But oftentimes what we're facing is when we add a little extra in and we manipulate conversations. And as soon as that happens... Our credibility factor drops and our trustworthy factor drops. To find the authentic, look for the key indicator that they're trustworthy. All right, one last one. We'll wrap it up here. Write down the word humility. Humility. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that Jesus humbled himself, that he emptied himself of his divine attributes. He came, wrapped himself in flesh, walked the face of this earth, and in pure humility demonstrated a life that was worth living. And we often think about Jesus more in the high-level atmosphere. We think of the authority of his teaching and the miracles that he performed, the crowds are following, all of the high-level stuff, which is great. But Jesus came, and the manner in which he came was pure humility. He borrowed a cradle for his birth. He borrowed a tomb for his death. He demonstrated what it was to be truly humble in every aspect of his life. It was so important and so intentional in his world that he would transfer this principle over to his followers and he would teach them, hey, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to serve the least of these. That you have to discover that humility is the pathway to authenticity. But in a world in which we live, in a world in which they lived, power, ego, pride, control, That's what everybody was looking at. They're going, that's what greatness is about. And Jesus, no, 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 we're going to inverse all of this. And you have to learn a new way. James would pick up on it in James chapter 4, verse 6, where he said, God, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That those who truly understand what it is to serve the least of these, that in our world where it just seems like whether you turn TV on or you go to the internet or you pick up a magazine, you see it showcased and celebrated that if it's got ego or pride or power or acquisition, then truly that has got to be the model to go after. But humility, humility is almost despised. And yet Jesus said, if you want the authentic, you know what people are really craving for? Is when we walk in pure humility, even so much so that he said sometimes your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That humility would so enwrap your life that everything that you do, it is not about the accolades of the crowd. It's not about the applause of the people. It's not about the recognition, but it's about favor with God and watching your father smile his approval. Psalm 25, verse 9. 
The Bible says that God guides the humble in what, what is right, and he teaches them his way. If you want God to be your teacher, then we learn that he says humility is the invitation for God to walk with you. So the key indicators of authenticity are challenging, but they're attainable. And we are going to look at this more in depth. We're going to deep dive into this because I really believe this. There is an inner craving in every heart. I want to be the person God created me to be. And I don't want the shadows in the background. I don't want the compromise over here. I want all of these indicators to be firing on every cylinder so that when people look at me, they go, that is a person of integrity and purity. That person is trustworthy, and that person emulates humility. And I know that's my prayer. That's my desire. And I really believe it's yours as well. Now, just maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit's been tapping you on the shoulder this morning. And you're sort of skating through a couple of these, and you're going, yeah, I believe that, that integrity works for me, that purity works for me, and all of a sudden you hit that trustworthy, and maybe that's the one where the Holy Spirit goes, I think we could do a little bit of work right there. Some of you, it might be over in the area of integrity, or it might be purity, or maybe it's in the area of humility. The beauty of a life lived for Christ, he deals with us as individuals. He doesn't bring his guilt, he brings his grace. And he goes, let me live through you. Let my life be your authentic life. And friends, if we do it, he says, then the world, then the world will see that love truly is sincere. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, this morning, that's what we lay at your feet. We bring our brokenness, we bring our, our, our hardship, and we bring our failure. And we lay it at your feet and we pray, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. For some of us, we know exactly what you put your finger on today. And God, we just commit to you. We're going to work in those areas because we are one of the many who crave authenticity. And we want your church to be powerful, filled with love, to be unstoppable. We want to heal the fracture lines that the world looks at and to move forward in the strength and the grace and the power of your spirit. So I pray for everyone listening to my voice today. May they become people of integrity, people who truly understand purity, people who are trustworthy, and people who walk in humility. And then we will be authentic followers of Jesus. And I pray this morning for those that maybe have never experienced the wonder of your grace, the forgiveness of sins, to know what it is to have a life restored to purpose, to be able to be the person you created us to be. As your eyes are closed just for a moment, just respect the privacy in this room. Those of you that are in the other rooms listening to me or you're watching online, I would ask you just to personally consider, have you given your life fully to Jesus Christ? You won't find the authenticity you crave until you actually come to the one who created you and allow him to restore you back to that point for which he created you. The way we do that is by recognizing that we often fall short of the goal. We miss the mark. We struggle with our sin. He doesn't ask us to do anything with it except to receive his forgiveness of sin, his finished work on the cross where he paid the penalty, he broke the power, he just said, all I want you to do is believe that I'm your Savior. I'll restore you. I'll put my spirit in you, and I'll walk with you 
and give you the life that you seek to live. And the way you do that this morning is you don't have to repeat my prayer. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to do any kind of religious exercise. You just, in your heart, speak to Jesus. And all you say to him is, I believe you are who you said you are. I receive your forgiveness of sins. Help me to live the authentic life. Around here, we call that saying yes to Jesus. So, Lord, I believe that many of us, perhaps even for the first time, we're saying yes to you. So in a few moments when we dismiss from this room, I just pray that they'll stop by the yes station and discover what next steps really look like. But the most important part is that they'll experience what you promised, your spirit in our hearts, transforming us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.